You are listening to Press Church Podcasts. Please enjoy this week's message. We started a sermon last week and we ran out of time. And hopefully we can get through it and not run out of time, but we'll see. So y'all listen fast and I'll talk faster. We talked last week, the title was The Business of Blessing. The Business of Blessing, this is part two of that. We talked about the main scripture, Numbers 23, verse 19. There's four lines in that scripture, and we're highlighting each one of those lines. The scripture says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said it, will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good. In the context of this passage, I encourage you to go read the whole story, Numbers 22, 23, and 24, is the children of Israel have come into the promised land. There is a king, uh, the king of Moab and Balak, and he sees these people come. He gets scared. His people get scared. So he knows that there is a prophet of the Lord by the name of Balaam. And so he calls out to Balaam and he says, Balaam, come and curse these people. They come from Egypt and they're trying to take over our land. Balaam goes and has a conversation with God. He says, let me see what God wants to say. And God says, you cannot curse them because I have blessed them. So therefore, you don't need to worry about it. So he goes back to the, the, the king and his people, and he says, well, I can't do anything about it. And they said, well, just ask God again. Just ask him one more time. Maybe, he'll, maybe he really does want to curse them, and, and he just misspoke. And so he asked him again. He says, well, you can go with them, but they're already blessed. So in chapter 22, 23, he shows up on this mountainside, and he asks the king of Moab to build an altar, build seven altars, 14 altars actually, to, uh, to burn, and then we'll talk to God about it. And he comes back the first time, and he pronounces a blessing over the children of Israel. And the king of Moab says, I didn't, I'm not paying you, I'm not asking you to bless them. I told you to curse them. He says, I can only say what God tells me to say. And he says, well, let's go to another side of the mountain, and we'll try it again. Maybe God needs a different angle to see the evil and the wickedness of these people. And he says, okay, let's go to the second side of the mountain. So he goes there, and he builds the altars again. He goes to God, and in the middle of him coming from this, he stands on the mountain, and he makes this statement in the second blessing, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If he has said it, then he will do it. If he has spoken it, will he not make it good? Now the king is getting even more mad. He says, I told you to curse them. Now you've blessed them twice. If I was the king, I would say, all right, let's, let's back up. Let's try a different approach. No, no, no. This king is not the brightest. He said, let's go to another side of the mountain and let's do it a third time. And you can already guess the results of that third time. There was no curse that was placed upon them, but only blessing. So in the context of this whole passage here, God's in the business of blessing. He's in the business of blessing his people. And we can look at this scripture and understand in the context of it that he's talking about blessing his people, but we can also see the nature of God. We can also see the character of God in these four lines. Last week, we only got to the first one where we talked about God only tells the truth. He only tells the truth. When he speaks, it's truth. You might speak, and that might not be truth, but when I speak what God says, I'm speaking the truth to that circumstance. God is not a man that he should lie. We talked about 
In Psalms 119, verses 160, it says that the entirety of your word is truth. Another version of the Bible, the King James says, the sum of the word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endure forever. I know on this physical earth, I'm not going to endure forever. But I know that when I speak his words, when I speak his judgments, when I speak his truths, those endure forever. That is how when God wrote and gave the, the words to man to write those words, they could say those words, and it's just as powerful as when they wrote it than when it is right now, because his word endures forever. I can speak the word of God in any country, in any language, in any opportunity, and I'm speaking the truth because God is not a man that he should lie. What he says is the truth. No ifs, ands, or buts. So therefore, it's imperative for me to check what I am saying because sometimes what I say, whew, we don't, it doesn't make sense. But when I speak the word of God, I know that his word is true. The second line on this passage is that God is not a son of man that he should repent. So the second part that we're talking about today is God is not sorry for blessing. That word repent means to be sorry, to lament, to grieve, nor a son of man that he should repent. It makes it sound like in this passage that God does not repent. He doesn't feel sorry. He doesn't grieve. He doesn't do all those things. But in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, this is God talking right before we're going into Noah's ark is the story here. It says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Not one good thought. Come on, guys. And look at verse 6. And the Lord was sorry, the same word, that he had made man on earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Now, it appears at this moment we might have a contradiction in the, spirit, in the, in the Scriptures. Because in Genesis, it says that he's sorry, the same word that we saw in our passage numbers. He's sorry that he made man. He was grieved that he made man because every intent of their heart was to do evil. There was only one man that found favor with God in the whole world at that time, and that was Noah. And it says that he was sorry. But then in Numbers, we see a couple generations later, there is a blessing being pronounced over the children of Israel, and it says that he's not a son of man that he should repent. So is he sorry or is he not sorry? In the context of the Scriptures, we see that he's not sorry for blessing his people. He says, I'm not a son of man that I'm going to apologize for this blessing that I'm placing upon these people. They are blessed, they are highly favored, and I'm not going to apologize for my children being blessed and highly favored by me. He's not backing away, he's not shying away from wanting to bless his people. The next passage in Numbers 23, we looked at verse 19, but the very next scripture in verse 20, Balaam makes this statement, Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot Reverse it. He's not, a, he's not a son of man that he should repent. My God is not sorry that whoever comes into his kingdom as a son or daughter, that he is ready and willing 
to bless. Just like the truth, whatever he says is truth, he says you're blessed. Whether you believe it or not, God's blessing and favor is upon your life. In Balaam, although he tried over and over and over again, he says, I've received a command to bless. And where did that command come from? It came from God. He says, and therefore they are blessed and I can't reverse it. That there's nothing that I can do to reverse that blessing off of his people. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, we've heard this scripture before. For all the promises of God in him, in Jesus, are yes, not no, not maybe, are yes, and in him, amen. Amen, that word means let it be, to the glory of God through us. Verse 21, now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us is God. Verse 22, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. For all the promises of God in Him are yes. Remember the Scripture, the mystery that was revealed is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us. So if the blessings and the promises are yes and amen in Him, and He's in us, and He's our big brother, the Scripture says, then you're blessed. And God's not apologizing for it. So why should we? I think of that Disney movie, The Lion King, when Mufasa brings his son Simba to the top of Pride Rock as the sun is rising. And he says, look at all this. Everything the sun touches is yours. Everything. The lion cub at this time has done nothing, has done no work, has done nothing good, has just eaten, run around and played. He says, all of this that the sun touches is yours. He said, what about that over there, the elephant graveyard where the sun doesn't touch? He says, oh, no, that's not ours. There's, there's, we have nothing to do with that. That God himself has done the same thing for us. That in him, all the promises and the blessings of the old covenant and the new covenant, in him are yes and amen. Everything that is a blessing you are entitled to, not because of the work that you've done, but simply in believing and becoming a son and daughter of the Most High God. And then when you look off to the distance and see the dark side of life, the evil, the devil, the negativity, God's saying the same thing. That has nothing to do with you. That dark side has nothing to do with you. He that the sun sets free is right now free indeed. That doesn't touch you. That doesn't come near you. Because I sent my son, it says, to destroy the works of the devil. Therefore, that dark side over there has already been defeated. And you don't have to worry about it. Just worry about whatever the sun touches. God's not sorry for blessing his people. You see, the story of the prodigal son, Jesus tells us that the prodigal son comes running back and the, son, and the father hugs him and kisses him. And he says, kill the fatted calf, put the rings on him, put the best this, put the best that on him. And the older brother is standing out in the field pitching a fit. Well, how come I never get a cow? Where's my fancy ring? Why don't I get shoes or a robe? 
And we forget as we've been in the kingdom for a long time and we see other people getting blessed and other people being prosperous, we forget what, just like the older brother, and the father says, it's always been yours. All of it has always been yours. We're celebrating him because he once was lost, but now he's found. But you could have asked for anything, and it's always been yours because you're a son. The blessing is available to you today. Quit looking around at everybody else getting blessed and pouting about it, and look to your father and ask him because he's not sorry for blessing. He's excited, and he's willing to bless you. The third part of that scripture, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son a man that he should repent. Has he said it, and will he not do it? If he said it, he will do it. The third truth that we can pull out of this text of God's character, if God, God will do what he says. Take it to the bank, God will do what he says. Isaiah 55, verse 11 so shall the word that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. It shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. I love when the Bible interprets itself. Look at this next passage in Psalms verse 107. Psalms 55, 11 ends, it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. We talked about it in communion, Psalms 107. He sent his word and it healed them. It healed you and me. Isaiah 55 says, it shall prosper in the thing which he sent it. Well, where he sent it, he sent it to you. He sent it to me. He sent his word. And what that word do? It healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Look at verse 21. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. My word that goes forth will not return to me void. It's not going to come back to me. But we also know that the word is Jesus. The word is, came in the flesh, it says in John. And he sent his one and only son to do what nobody else could do. And that word became flesh. And he says, I didn't send my one and only son for what he did and the price that he paid to come back to me negative. He put too much on his son. He's not a just God. If he puts all this wrath, he puts all this sin, he puts all this sickness and disease upon his son, and Jesus yells out, it is finished, and God in heaven was silent, agreeing with him that it was finished for something on the other side of the cross to still have to be done. If it was good enough for God back then on the cross, then it's good enough right now. He's not a just God if he says, I did all this to Jesus, but you still have to do this to get to heaven. You still have to do this to get blessed. You still have to do that. The only thing you have to do is believe in that man on the cross who went into a tomb and is now seated at the right hand of God. You believe in him, you are therefore entitled to everything because he wouldn't be a just God. 
It would be irrational of me as a father to put all this pressure on my son. You've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, and then I'll give you a treat. And he does all those things, and I say, well, you actually got to do 37 more things, and then we'll think about it. It'd be a terrible father. If he said it, he's going to do it. His word says it, therefore he's going to do it. I'm not the best at doing work in regards to building a house. My father-in-law helped me do a lot of work at our house whenever we were doing it. I just stood there really and supported him. He would be on the ladder and Or he'd say, hey, hammer this. And I'd hammer one of them, and then he'd be like, well, let me do the the rest of them. And I'm like, okay, well, I get to help, though. Um, So he knows how to build a house. We didn't build the house from the ground up, but there were some things that we did. Uh, we, We built this wall, and we had to frame this wall um, so we can make Noah's room. There was a hole in the wall uh, that was going to the formal uh, living room, and so we wanted to close that in and make it into a living room. And so when we framed that wall, we used wood. We used the best wood that we could. We used hard, sturdy, good, clean wood. We didn't put styrofoam in there. We didn't do paper mache to try and make a good frame. No, we used the best wood that we could find to frame that wall so that it would stay up and be structured soundly. There's a scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. It says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which were not made of things which are visible... That the scripture here says that the entire world, this world that we're standing in right now, is framed, is being held up by the simple word of God, light be and light was. So I want to encourage you today that if your world is falling apart, then what is your world being framed by? What have you framed your world by? Your own words? Your own negativity, life and death is in the power of the tongue, and you're going to eat of that fruit. Well, I always fail. I always lose. It was in my family. If it happened to them, it's going to happen to me. But what if by chance you decided to change the framing of your world by speaking the Word of God and build your life upon the Word of God, build the foundation of your life on the Word of God, because if He said it, He's going to do it. Therefore, I'm going to build my life on he that the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm going to hammer up another two by four that says, by Jesus' stripes, I am already healed. I'm going to frame my world that says the favor of God is upon me, surrounds me like a shield. I have favor with God and with man. It says in there that I can frame my world that believing that when I'm absent from the body, I'm present with the Lord. That I can frame it that says that he's not ashamed to call me a part of his family that I can walk boldly into his throne room of grace, that I could obtain peace and mercy, that I have the mind of Christ. What if we framed our words with the words of God? How much different would our life be?
If he said it, he will do it. And we'll finish with the last part of this scripture. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said it? Will he not do it? In the last scripture, or has he spoken it? And will he not make it good? The last thing that I want to highlight to you when it comes to the nature of God is that God will make it good. He will make it good. But there's some truth, there's some foundations, there's some framing that we have to build before we get to understanding that God will make it good. Because there's chances right now in your life, there are things happening in your life, there are situations, there are circumstances, there are things that are on the horizon that are going to happen that you know about or you don't know about, and you're probably questioning, will God make it good? How can you say that God will make it good. So we've got to build some foundational steps to get to that space. Number one, we have to understand the simple truth that God is good. Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34. King David seemed to have just something inside of him. If you read in his Psalms, if you read in, in the, the books that, that chronicle his life, he says this statement over and over again. We read it in Psalms 136. So give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. There was something inside of David's heart that whenever he would start writing a Psalms, you can read it over and over again, that this scripture right here, that this phrase right here just was a theme of his life. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. A lot of people inside and outside the church don't think that God is good. This is a baseline thing that we have to learn and accept. We think, people think, sometimes God's bad. God's mad and, and he sends these things on us to teach us a lesson. He puts sickness on this person to teach them a lesson. I live, lived in Louisiana. When Hurricane Katrina came, everybody said all over the world, God sent Hurricane Katrina to destroy New Orleans because of how wicked it is. The most wicked street on there was Bourbon Street, and there was a bar that was recorded to stay open the entire time of Hurricane Katrina. 24 hours a day through the whole hurricane on Bourbon Street, there was a bar that was open. Not a single thing was touched on Bourbon Street. So God's bad, but he has terrible accuracy? He just sent them to the ninth ward, to the poorest of poor, the ones who had nothing to begin with and then just washed it all away? No, no, no. You have to come to the foundational stance that God is good. There is evil out in this world. There is still a ruler of this world. But now us in Christ know that he has been defeated, but he's still running amok in this world. I just now have the authority to remind him that he's been defeated. And so do you. The foundational thing that God is good. The second foundational truth that you have to understand is that God does good. Psalms 119.68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. So it's one thing to know that God is good. All right, I'm glad to know that he's good. But does he do good? 
If he is good, does he have a heart and intent to do good? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Peter, when he's speaking in Acts, he says that Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what Jesus did everywhere he went was do good. He couldn't, he couldn't help himself when he came in front of a sick person to heal him. He couldn't help himself that when the demonic was there, he cast him out. He couldn't go to a funeral, even his own, without raising the dead. And if you've seen Jesus and what he did in the Gospels, that's a direct representation of the Father. So not only is God good, God wants to do good. Now here's the question and here's the issue that a lot of people butt heads with, that it's hard for them to understand and it's hard for them to receive. Yes, I can understand God is good. Yes, I can understand God wants to do good things. Here's where the rubber meets the road. God wants to do good to me. God wants to do good to me. High in the sky, far away, yeah, there's a good God out there and he does good things and, and he... He helps those out there. But the biggest thing that we fight against in our own lives, if we're being honest with ourselves, is does God want to do good to me? I know my fault flaws. I know my failures. I know my insecurities. I know what I thought yesterday. I know what I've done before. There's no way that, that he wants to do good to me. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 it says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Hey, guess what? All includes you. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? My pastor says this because of this scripture. If he gave you Jesus' family, he'll give you anything. If you gave you his one and only son, Jesus, he's not going to withhold anything from you. If he didn't withhold his own one and only son. If God is good enough, I wrote this, if God is good enough to give us his one and only son, Jesus, then how will he withhold any other good thing from us? If he'll give you Jesus, he'll give you anything. That's probably the biggest pill that we have to swallow. When it comes to anything in the Bible, will he do it for me? I've seen him heal that person I've seen him restore that marriage. I've seen him help that person in his finances. I've seen him get that person saved. But how many people do you talk to that say, well, I can't, I can't frequent the doorstep of a church. I'll burst into a, a ball of flames. Church doesn't want me there. The town knows who I am. And he's the very one that God sent his son for. And the last thing that we see in this scripture, God will make it good for me. He'll make it good for me. If we understand that God is good, and we go down the path that God does good things, and then we get to that, that crossroads in life where I believe that God wants to do good things for me, then that means God will make it good for me. He's going to make it good. I don't know how, I don't know when, but if my God is good, he does good things and he wants to do good things for me, I don't know how this situation is going to change, but what I'm going to believe, because God's not a man that he should lie, if he says he's going to bless me, then he's going to bless me. His word is true, then he's going to make it good for me. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I'm going to stand on the truth and the word of God and I'm going to believe until my death that God 
will do good for me. Romans chapter 8, if we go up a little bit higher, Romans 8, 28. And we know. How can Paul say that with such assurance? And then he loops us in. Like we're all included. Like, well, I don't, I'm trying to know Paul. I'm trying to step out in faith. But Paul makes it, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. I believe that I'm sitting in a room full of people that love God. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. To those who are the called according to his purpose. You are the called and you answer that call because you're here today and you believe that what he did and what he said all those years ago is still relevant and pertinent to your life today. I don't know how, I don't know when in your situation, but he will make it good. He's not a man that he should lie. He will make it good. My dad is a mechanic. My dad knows cars. My dad really knows if it has an engine, my dad can work on it. If it's a lawnmower that I broke, if it's a car that I broke, he works on airplanes now. I don't break those. He started out when he was younger working on crop dusters out in the field of Louisiana. And he's jumped around from Boeing to Northrop and all that, and he's in upper management now, but he was tall and skinny like me, which is how I got it, and they would send him to crawl into the middle of the wings of planes and all the places that nobody else could fit. They'd send him in there, and he worked on the planes as a mechanic and worked his way up. So my dad knows vehicles. He knows things with engines, and, and I'm not the greatest at them. I can tinker with them. I can put gas in them. I can even put air in the tires. I mean, I'm, I'm getting more manly as the years go by. My, my dad knows vehicles, and I know it because I'm, I was the one kid that was holding the flashlight. We had, there was three of us boys, and it was always me with the flashlight out in those Louisiana muggy nights with mosquitoes biting us and my dad yelling at me to move the flashlight well, we could just go in and do this later. But every time my car broke or my cars broke, the first person I called was my dad because I knew he would make it good. I knew when my first car, which was like a 91 Chevy Lumina or something like that, called it the Gray Ghost, and it broke I broke it somehow, some way. I know when I blew the head gaskets off of the four-wheeler that my dad bought, that my dad told me not to drive that night, and I drove it and shouldn't have, and there was smoke pouring out of the, the hood at midnight. I didn't want to make that call, but I knew that if I called my dad, he was going to make it good. When my Tundra died, and when we were in Texas, we couldn't figure out why it was jumping time and messing up. And not only did my dad come to fix it, he got a trailer, put the truck on the trailer, drove it back to Louisiana and worked on it, fixed it. The trucks that I have and the vehicles we have today, I call my dad and he fixes them. He tells me what to do and he helps it. That my dad knows how to do it. He's good at it. 
And not only does he do it for me, he goes the extra mile to make sure that it's done and done right. I know that if I have vehicle problem, I can call my dad and he's going to make it good. The same is true with your father in heaven. He knows this Bible better than you because he wrote it. He knows every promise. He knows every benefit. He knows every blessing. He knows everything that you need is in this book. He understands it. So why are we not going to him when we have an issue? Because his word is truth. The Holy Spirit inside of us is going to lead us and guide us to all truth. And if he's good, he does good things, he wants to do good things for me, just like my dad, I can call on him because I know he'll make it good. I don't know when, I don't know how, sometimes dad, I don't know how you're going to fix this car. I've wrecked it, I've flipped it, I've mangled it, I've done all these things, I don't know, there's smoke pouring out of it, there's no tires, there's no engine, the seats are gone, I've totally destroyed this car. I don't know how you're going to make it good, but I know you're going to make it good. You might be sitting there today and you might think that your life's a mess. Your life is on fire, your tires are knocked off of your life and your marriage and you're trying to figure it out, but I'm telling you today that your God, your Father, is going to make it good. Whenever you reach out to him, he's right there to answer. God is in the business of blessing. We see in this story in Numbers, it being a part of the Old Covenant, if he blessed his people in the Old Covenant in the Old Testament, how much more Is he ready and willing to bless you now under the new covenant based on better principles and better things that his son established with his blood? If he blessed them and was not ashamed to bless them, was not sorry to bless them, how much more is he ready and willing to bless you under the new covenant? This scripture reminds us today the nature of God, that God only tells the truth. God's not sorry for blessing you. God will do what he says, and no matter what, God will make it good. Let's stand up today as we get ready to hand the head out. God is in the business of blessing, and he's in the business of blessing you and your family today. Reach out to him. Study his word. Find out what those blessings are and talk to him. I guarantee you he is going to help you through that situation. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you sent your word and you healed us and delivered us from all destruction. Father, I thank you for each and every person here. Father, I thank you for giving them wisdom and revelation, like it says in your scriptures, that your word will be planted in their hearts and minds, and that we it will bear much fruit, that when they come into something in life, they will remember this scripture, they will remember these truths, they will remember of the character and the nature of God, that he's good, that you're a good God, you're a good father, you're our Abba Father that wants to take care of us, that wants to provide for us, that wants to love us us, that wants to take care of us. If you gave us Jesus, it says that you'll give us anything, that you're not going to withhold anything from us, Father, and you know that there are needs in these people's lives. And Father, I ask you to open your hand to them. Send your angels now to minister to them. Father, I speak peace to their minds and to their lives, to their households, to their families, to their jobs. Your peace that passes all understanding, let it guard their heart and mind through Christ Jesus. 
Father, let us get that word in our heart, but also get it out of our mouth so that we can frame our worlds. We might not like where we are right now, but you sent your word, and we can use that word to frame our future going forward, that I can look back in three days, in three months, in three years, and say, look what the Lord has done, because I can say, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever, and for the generations to come in my life. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you they're healed and whole. They have the mind of Christ. They're blessed and highly favored. That they are your salt and light of the the earth. They are the agents who are diffusing the grace of knowledge of Jesus Christ everywhere they go, like your scripture says. Bring people across our path so that we can minister to them, encourage them, and remind them of these truths that we learned here. And Father, bless your people, protect them, and keep them safe until next Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you all next week. Take care, family. listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.